listening to Not Good Enough, an inadequate response to inadequate responses. I'm Mitch Alexander. I'm Tom McLean. I'm Tom Lang. And I'm Evie. And we've got Isaac in our headphones, fact-checking and promoting Not Good Enough by reminding everyone to listen to Ozpol Snackpod. <laughs> what? I don't get it. I mean, um, go, go listen to us post there, there, there are great podcasts, yeah. but, we, but I just don't understand We that. talked before the show for a good five minutes about, hey, let's just riff on the ALP strategy of reminding everyone about Scott Morrison. For like seven minutes, we were like, yeah, we're just some I quick little jokes mean. up top. Yeah, but then and then you, I was like, oh, you were still too oblique. You were still yeah, in. way too oblique. I didn't catch that. Oh, no. they're, not our, they're not our opposition, Mitch. <laughs> no, nah, the true not good enough, they certainly are. <laughs> and by that I mean they're essentially doing what we do with very minor variations <laughs> around the edges. <laughs> but they're just as good as us at uh, propping up the interests of fossil fuel companies. <laughs> this analogy is not only bad, it's going to make us lose friends. <laughs> <laughs> I love Oswald Snackpot. Go listen to him. But... Just a quick thing up the top that I wanted to mention because it's just sent me into just, <laughs> I was going to say, ejaculations of laughter because I've been reading some old school literature. Well, let's bring but it back. Like, let's bring back ejaculations. Yeah, let, yeah, yeah good idea, Evie. <laughs> <laughs> it's our post-lockdown um, resolution. <laughs> Everyone's having a hot girl summer now. Everyone's getting their vaccines. Gender not... Necessary. <laughs> so Scott Morrison had taken a couple of days off of press conferences while New South Wales is burning to the ground and whatever's happening mm-hmm. there, I don't care. But the Labor Party <laughs> has decided that their entire media blitz strategy for the last week was just going to be reminding everyone that Scott Morrison exists when he disappeared. Instead mm-hmm. of taking the initiative, instead of putting forward any cool, like, proposals or ideas or just hope they just spent the entire week making some of the worst memes i've ever fucking seen and spending all of their time at press conferences reminding everyone that scott morrison exists and should be doing a good job and can we hope that scott morrison does a good job they just had such a small tiny but good opportunity to do any sort of positive pr for the labor party and they just went ah liberal party remember them think about them think about scott morrison that's our approach they were doing these like count-ups. It's just like constantly, <laughs> it's been four days since Scott Morrison's appeared. Where is <laughs> day six of no ScoMo? Oh, just what's what's your bloody what's your pitch there? Australia wants Scott Morrison. We need more Scott. Where's our, where's our Scott? You're the Labour Party. Just he's gone. Use the, use the space to push your agenda. What's your agenda? We want him back. Yeah. <laughs> like, aside from the fact that the memes were really bad, like that's almost like just a very small part of it, even though it was really funny to see like pennies in a jar for some reason expressing superannuation yes that's right i do have pennies in a jar um <laughs> that one was fucked <laughs> they've got the empty jar of pennies couple of pennies that this is what liberals want to do with your superannuation but with labor you'll have a jar that's full of pennies <laughs> at least 18 dollars to retire what are you fucking talking about <laughs> like okay even aside from that it's just it's pretty silly that uh, even after like multiple spills over the years that people would still use like individual people as yeah. a as a point that's the thing the labor party's like oh uh, you know just doing a lot of personal scott morrison attacks that like yes he deserves to be personally attacked he's a horrible ghoul but if labor's just like we're really campaigning heavily on scomo being a piece of shit then you know, before the next election, he just gets rolled by one of the other clones of him that'll just step into his spot. And your entire 
campaign is annihilated <laughs> so in funny. an instant. Like I, I, I was there when like the first spills were happening, and it's like, okay, cool, this person is gone. Now what? We'll just replace him with another yeah. dude in a leather jacket. Great, great job, everyone. <laughs> this is the issue with Labor, um, and 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 the reason they're doing this is they don't exist as an independent political entity. They exist only to provide a, a kind of mild opposition to the Liberal Party. And so when the Liberal Party isn't doing anything, uh, the Labor Party is like a <laughs> you know an NPC in Berigost, just wandering from the shops to the farm and back until a player comes along. <laughs> That's really sad. Just this idea, like. They're just really, like, listless and bored and they've got no direction. So, the Liberal Party aren't doing something that we can pretend to oppose until we get to vote on it. What do we do? They're just there to provide some small XP. (laughs) Just a little guy in the town just being like, I sure haven't seen the king in a while. I hope he's okay. (laughs) Yeah. They don't have any policies of their own, so they can't be like, oh, what if there were policies? The only thing they're trying to compete on is the arena of spin and fluff and marketing. And they're up against fucking... Scott the Morrison, marketer in chief, <laughs> the, the Liberal Party. Scott Morrison is entirely fluff and marketing. You can't yeah, compete. The one hashtag that would never ever take off is Albo from marketing. Because <laughs> he's not. Labor is trying to compete with raw charisma at this point. <laughs> oh my lord! Good job, Labor. Sorry, the funniest thing that happened this week was not even just necessarily a Labor Party campaign, but all the people who just like completely without fear or favour love to defend the Labor Party, analysing whether one of Scott Morrison's curries was real or not. I was like, I, when I saw that, <laughs> I was like, I got to the point of like, okay, there, there, there really is never going to be a point where it's going to be a structural thing talking about how the Liberal Party is bad or how the current structures are bad. It's all about whether Scott Morrison did his curry the right way or not. And did he really use three cans of coconut milk? Like, this is the point of discourse we're at. That's the thing is that that was not even the low point of this week in terms of (laughs) incredibly sort of effete attacks on fucking Scott Morrison personally because there's also just in the last couple of days the fucking Scotty from hair plugs mm. hashtag mm. trending what? where there's him. a bunch of droplets being like yep. oh Scott Morrison had hair plugs look Sorry, at this what? before picture where he's clearly bald yep. and look at this after picture where he's looking less bald that's like <laughs> mate, climate change is happening <laughs> we will not elect a leader who has hair plugs that's our top issue as well. also, <laughs> hair plugs are fine what's wrong with hair plugs let a man what's live what's wrong with hair I will say, though, Evie, we we did spend an awful lot of time on one episode talking about how he didn't make a chicken coop. So, like... (laughs) Right. But we're not the opposition party. We're not claiming to not be hypocrites, Mitch. Let us without sin post the first post. Also, I reckon a lot of those people were just in lockdown Sydney with literally nothing else to do. So, fuck it, go hard. Go CSI mode on some curry. I don't give a shit. Whatever. Like It's the same thing as well of like uh, wondering which jacket Dan Andrews is going to be at a press conference. Like it's. I understand trying to scramble for patterns in a chaotic universe without any uncaring or with uncaring leadership. I understand. That's why conspiracy theories exist. Oh, no, the philosopher's logged on. Hi, guys. It's me. (laughs) But like we all did it because we're like in a lockdown you just you, you you you're numb you've got nothing life is gray so it's like yeah i'm gonna look for dissolved That's potato true. i don't give a shit we're all sitting here getting real mad about all these dipshits online and then mitch is just swinging in with like oh but remember everyone's mental health is very bad and we're like, oh yeah okay that's that's true i'm sorry everyone <laughs> Uh, 
clean. Good news? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Good news this week. There's been a just a, uh, sometimes I say on this podcast that the golden rule of Australian politics is that nothing good happens. And <laughs> the beautiful thing about a golden rule is sometimes it gets broken and something good happens. I'm talking about the uh, NDIS revamp. There's going to be a whole bunch of changes to the way that the NDIS works, which is the disability insurance scheme. Um, We've spoken about it a couple times on the pod before, where they had this terrible independent assessment um, scheme where basically they would just get whoever to come and assess you as a disabled person for whatever your, uh, you know, uh, eligibilities are for uh, access to the NDIS. And there was really not a lot of (laughs) effort put into making sure that the person who's assessing you uh, has any understanding of your needs or condition or anything. There's stories of a uh, physiotherapist coming around to do an assessment for a person who had autism uh, and just a lot of things of that nature of just like this rando person just being like, okay, so you are uh, permanently blind. So I'm going to sign you up for six months of NDIS and uh, you can just go and get that renewed. And being like, mm-hmm. But I'm, <laughs> I'm not getting my vision back. Well, you have to prove that again in six months. Like a lot of just like crazy shit like that. That's yeah. a hypothetical example. There's no citation for that one, but it, it's things of that nature. It's basically trying once again to make um, getting access to welfare much more punitive. Yeah. And the news for this week is that uh, that those changes have been defeated. The, the, the independent assessments are, are no longer. It, it's just it's 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 out. It's great. There, a lot of disability activists are uh, you know are very very happy to see this development, uh, and and so they should be. It's phenomenal news. Yeah, and, and it is it is the responsibility and like the 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 win of disability ac- activists for this win. Um, they are the ones who made a noise about it, who encouraged people to learn about it. Uh, shout out to Elle Gibbs, who has written extensively about this as well. Um, they have done a lot of work in this space and, and tell, like you know, teaching people about how the NDIS has become more punitive. Yeah, it, it really seems to be a priority of the government. They're looking at the NDIS, which is well known to be in a really, really bad state. Even currently, yeah. a very, very difficult to access support. Uh, and the government's clearly looked at the NDIS and has gone... Well, clearly too many people are getting too much disability support, so we need to crack down on that rather than, wow, there are a lot of people who really mm. need help in this society and let's make sure they get it. No, 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 no. Yeah. <laughs> we, need to, we need to tighten the screws on this It's one. very, very clear that the government's position and philosophy is that every dollar of welfare that goes to people is a failure. Um, yeah. And, and any time money gets to someone, they better fucking jump through so many hoops that they are nice suicidal. And there better be a hundred people who are not getting that money um, well, rather than aiming for, like, everyone to be able to live. Yeah, it's like Scott Morrison said, probably, the best type of disability support <laughs> is a job. And we need to get these people working <laughs> as soon as possible. <laughs> Yeah, it's fine. It's 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 genuinely like I mean, Evie, you've always got that thing of like just means testing to death all of these certain things, but it's it's punitive. They want to punish people, and because th- this is the thing as well. The thing that always blows my mind about this is that the the mandatory independent assessments were going to be replacing reports from the disabled person's own medical specialist. Mm. Oh, what does a person's own medical specialist know, Mitch? <laughs> <laughs> They're probably biased because they'll say they need. We want to get rid of bias in the system, so we've just got, like, 50 multiple choice questions to ask people. Because, yeah, uh, the whole thing's fucked, but you know what? It's good news. 
A little bit of an aside, have you guys seen that ad that's on, maybe it's Netflix or something, where it's like a job service provider, and she's got a guy who's there needing training or a job or something, and like a magical portal opens, and they step through, or just the guy steps <laughs> through, into fuck? a warehouse, and he's like, <laughs> and it's like, now I have a job in a warehouse. Wait, the, <laughs> the magical portal just leads into a warehouse. Not even a very nice looking warehouse. Oh, no. It's like the worst Narnia. <laughs> Lion, the witch in the warehouse. <laughs> and that's the thing. They've stepped through. They've stepped through into a magical world where anyone can get a job. <laughs> if if the ad was realistic, the portal would open and he would step through it back into the waiting room where a computer is, where someone's saying, just redo your resume. <laughs> That's why they needed the CGI. They couldn't actually, they couldn't find a, an example uh, of a real job service provider getting someone a job that they could film. They had to simulate it. I want to bring this segment home with just a, a fairly grim observation, which is that I, I, I did, uh, you know, call out the guy golden rule of Australian politics that nothing good happened and this one is a good thing happening <laughs> but the good thing happening is just the government not making a yeah. thing worse it's a bad the thing the status not quo happening. has remained the status quo is the NDIS is still very bad yeah. hooray uh, yeah it's, it's going back to the thing Mitch I'm glad you um, mentioned the thing that I like to say all the time which is like Australia and just to the world generally when our approach to welfare is just means testing to death what I mean by that is like you always assume a position of someone is not supposed to have this help, which is a terrible way to mm. be. It's a fundamentally yeah. unempathetic way to be. Always assume someone's going to need a hand. Assume that your neighbor's going to need mm. help. And if they are in an economic position where they don't necessarily need it, that can be taken care of at a later point, you know, through tax. Remember tax? Yeah, like <laughs> last time I checked, the point of a society is that you've got enough people going around that like you can be taken care of if something is needing doing. Obviously, that's not what we've built. What society. we have here is capitalism, uh, not a society. It's a thing of, you know, you guys know when you need help, which happens fairly often just for mm. even people who, who, who don't have, you know, specific access requirements for whatever reason. Sometimes in anyone's life you need help and you know how often when that comes up, it, it's really scary and difficult to ask for help. <laughs> Are you guys familiar with that? How asking for yeah. help is actually hard? The idea that people are faking it is so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> it's so weird that in, in a society which, like, people are constantly so reluctant to be seen as needing a handout that this would be the assumption that everyone makes. It's rich people telling on themselves because rich people fucking love getting a handout. They love finding tax loopholes. They love getting grants from fucking sports rorts and carports and shit. They fucking love getting handouts, but they feel guilty about it. So whenever they can, they'll go, no one should get handouts. Don't look at my handouts. Everyone should feel bad about it. Because I don't feel think bad. they do feel guilty about it. I think they think they're entitled to it and that other mm, people aren't. They don't feel guilty but they know that it's wrong. I think that they feel like they're entitled to do it, but that they're getting away with a thing. Mm. And so when they see anybody accessing yeah. anything else, they're like, they're getting away with it. They they don't feel guilty about it, no. but they do have a sense that they're doing something wrong. Yes. They just don't feel bad about doing something yeah, yeah, wrong. Yeah, guilty was the wrong word. People. I shouldn't I, think I shouldn't <laughs> I shouldn't ascribe human emotions and empathy to those people that earn over like a million dollars a year because they don't have any. Yeah. Um, I think it's the secret. It just falls I off. think 
I think when, uh, say, a, a grant for a big car park falls into the lap of a liberal donor, they say, I manifested, manifested this. It. The universe decided I deserve this. But then Serena when a Russo. poor person is hit by a car, they go, no, that person didn't have good values. But we shouldn't just give them a handout. They should manifest better. Serena Russo just manifesting unemployed people. I just felt positive about it and they came to me. Yeah. God! They should just... Fuck. They should just... Have a vision board. <laughs> well, I mean, in Serena Russo's defence, she is manifesting poor people. <laughs> <laughs> Can we move on? This got depressing. So just as a as a quick little thing before we get into New South Wales being a real shit. Um, pretty sure uh, in terms of COVID. Uh, yeah. Shout out to New South Wales generally. Yeah, no, hang in there. Sorry, I do New not South subscribe Wales. to that. No, sorry, Mum. Don't be mean to New South Wales. Don't be mean to New South Wales. Dirty solidarity with New South Wales. Australian podcast. Dirty solidarity with New South Wales. I guess I've got friends there. They're fine. Um, oh, my mum. <laughs> leave her alone. <laughs> I did. No, she knows. Um, <laughs> she knows what she did. But no, um, the last year, this time last year, it was around July 29th when we hit the 700 case mark, which for me, the 700 number was the big one. I think in my memory from what little memory I have of back then, that's when like the lockdowns got really extreme. And that was when it was just like, why the fuck aren't we locking down? Because mm. the, the narrative in only a year has changed to like Melbourne, lockdown hard and fast. We went for it and we got everything sorted. And we fucking didn't. I remember when we had like Brunswick West in lockdown, yeah. but Brunswick wasn't. And so if you're in Brunswick West, you absolutely cannot leave the house unless you work outside of there or need to shop outside of there or you've got education outside of there or your friends are outside of there or your family are outside. <laughs> but otherwise, don't leave Brunswick West. And so watching this again, I think is bringing up a lot of subconscious shit where it's just like, yeah, I remember when we had nearly 100 cases and then nearly 200 and then we we're at fucking 700. It's like- Guys, watching New South Wales from Melbourne is just giving me weird deja vu because it's exactly what was happening here a year ago where they waited too long, they fucked around, now the They're numbers are up out. and everyone's like, oh no, my <laughs> mental health is bad. Like, we're a couple of weeks in and I'm seeing tweets from people in New South Wales being like, oh, this is actually quite bad. Is this how Melbourne people felt? Yeah. And everyone in Melbourne's like, oh. Kinda. But we're actually really special and amazing. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, jo I joke about I joke about hating New South Wales, and I do like conceptually. But everyone in there deserves none of this, and I really yeah. do hope that anyone from New South Wales listening is doing okay and has people to reach out to or fucking mm. government services to help with. Um, yeah, it's it's really fucked. Also, what they don't deserve is like media commentators being like, "Oh, can we like um, get Daniel Andrews to come over here and help <laughs> us?" <laughs> As if Daniel Andrews himself destroyed coronavirus. Well, like, what's Daniel Andrews going to do? Send the cops to already marginalised exactly. people and brutalise them? The New South Wales government that. doesn't need health in that. They're already <laughs> fucking doing that because this is a country of cops. When we're saying that New South Wales is doing the same things that Melbourne did, they're doing the same things that Melbourne did. If you've got Dan Andrews, I'd be doing the same things that Melbourne yeah. did. They put it off too long. They sent the cops at poor people. They locked down, but in like weird ways where obviously you're not locking down in a shops because that's an essential business. We're not giving people enough welfare so that casual workers, often from these underprivileged areas, still have to work. And so that's where your cases are. And then the cops get sent there and then your home is locked down, but you still don't have money because you're a casual worker and you can't get welfare and fucking the lockdowns continue. We've seen it all. 
Yeah, the New South Wales government in the last week has decided to do a compliance blitz, they're calling it. So when COVID is active in like on Bondi Beach and in Mossman and in all the very nice areas right on the coast, um, you know, it really is like, hey, let's take it easy. Let's sort of be um, sensible about this. And then as soon as it's out in the western suburbs with, you know, a high Muslim population, holy shit, the cops, we got to send mm. the cops in. Jesus Christ, it's all going to hell in a handbasket. And, I mean, uh, Osman Faruqi was um, very aggressively tweeting a bunch of stuff where um, cops and the government and the media are talking about how they're just going where the cases are. They're just mm. investigating where COVID outbreaks are happening and doing compliance mm. blitzes there. And they're factually fucking not. There is data showing that they are not doing that and they are targeting already oppressed people in parts of New South Wales. It's very fucking obvious what they're it's, doing and at, at, at any point if you have a microphone in front of you you should just mention that it's entirely fucking racist whenever they're doing this sort of shit yeah but i think you'll find mitch that uh the cops are in suburbs where there are a lot more fines and arrests happening um mm. is that the, because the people that arrest and fine people go there first and then the cops show up afterwards to do something well, else? well yeah like cause and effect <laughs> obviously aren't always in that order um the thing with this though is that they're it, they know that Victorian authorities got away with it last time. Like, okay, mm. the, when it came to the tower lockdown, there was a big investigation into how that happened in terms of over-policing. And, you know, mm. certain aspects of it may have breached their human rights as well, according to the report. <laughs> However, yep. did anything actually come of that in the end? Well, Dan Andrews, look, yeah. We, yeah, Dan Andrews we, got we what's We do coming. acknowledge that human rights were breached, mm. but... Oh. Oh. <laughs> Come on, though. <laughs> Nobody faced any consequences for that. They were like, well, we did breach human rights and we were right to do it because, do you forget, there was a COVID outbreak. Mm. And um, sorry, but look, look, you know, if there's poor people and there's a COVID outbreak, sometimes you've got to breach some human rights. Mm. That's just how you solve COVID for poor people. And if it's rich people, just let it happen. Those are the formulas. The, mm. other, the other added element to this is that it's not the same as last year in which there could be a lot more people that are vaccinated and there shouldn't be young people <laughs> in intensive care who could have been vaccinated by now and who are now on ventilators. Like there's mm. it's just such a confluence of things that it's like, okay, th there's the very obvious thing of nobody's learnt their lesson from last time, but also nobody's interested in learning any new lessons either. <laughs> well, look, we could have like gotten a whole lot more doctors and vaccines and healthcare workers and all that stuff. But we spent all that money on cops. Um, on the upside, we do have a lot of spare cops. So how <laughs> yeah, about what some we, of those? What we really need for COVID compliance is to get cops out there just tripping people onto their fucking faces around Sydney. That's really going to help everything. Throwing up white nationalist signs, getting around Sydney. Mm -hmm. Horses. Um, also, also, like, yeah, investigating really young people way too thoroughly as well. That The New South Wales police are also the gold standard in policing. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. So I, f I, feel, I feel happy that all my friends up in New South Wales just get to live in the same state as New South Wales cops, just generally. On or off duty. <laughs> By gold standard, do you mean um, entirely obsolete and based on something that was invented in the colonial era? <laughs> oh, he's bloody oh, done it. Pretty good. <laughs> I'm happy with myself for that one. But yeah, like you said, Evie, luckily um, the vaccine rollout is only two months behind schedule. Hmm. Oh, this is according to, to Scott Morrison's <laughs> latest uh, 
press conference. Labor's <laughs> like, please get Scott Morrison in front of me. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, the vaccine rollout is going well. And everyone's like, good to hear it. <laughs> Labor's like, thanks. We're, uh, that's somehow an advantage to us, I guess. Yeah, Labor's entire press strategy ruined when he finally just did a fucking press conference in which the, the Guardian reported as Morrison defended his government's vaccination rollout, insisting it was only two months behind schedule. That was a defense. So Scott Morrison got out there and went, no, 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 no. It's absolutely not as bad as you're all saying. It's only two months behind schedule. Mm. While we've got double digit cases growing exponentially in the biggest state in the country. Just, I would like, even as like a, you know, like those shows where a a, um, CEO works for like the lowest um, department in his company and gets to experience mm. it. Oh, uh, yeah. We should yeah. have a different version of that where I get to be prime minister for like six months and just do fuck all. So I get to know what it feels like to have a two month behind schedule project as a defense. Nah, it's all good. <laughs> it's like, what, what are you, you going to face any consequences? No, that's the best bit. I just get to have fun and get to take photos with cricketers that don't like me. This is great. The other thing is. The two months behind schedule claim is itself <laughs> yes, super bogus. It's, it's, mm. Like yes. he's just th- making we, shit we up. We are millions of vaccinations behind schedule. <laughs> the idea that there is a schedule to be two months behind is a fantasy. Yeah, <laughs> and this is the kind yeah. of stuff Labor can't be like. Uh, what are those numbers based on? You're entirely making shit up because that's all you ever do because they have no substance themselves. Yeah, he, yeah. he regularly redoes the numbers. We were supposed to all have our second jab in like April, then that got moved to October, then it was our first jab by October. No, what Labor's been doing, what Labor's been doing is like casting doubt on the AstraZeneca vaccine and then like <laughs> multi <laughs> shoots yeah. getting the AstraZeneca vaccine <laughs> after that. Thanks, Tanya Plibersek. ScoMo's vaccination rollout's going terribly. And we, as the opposition, want to say, do you even want a vaccine? (laughs) Actually, fuck, the only thing they have opposed in the last 12 months is the vaccine rollout from the government. But they've just opposed getting the vaccine. Christina Kersha-Keneally, what are you doing? The really embarrassing thing, or, you know, one of the many, um, (laughs) is that because Scott Morrison loves to announce stuff that it doesn't actually matter what he's announcing. Um, the government keeps saying, "Oh, we've we've changed. We've got we've accelerated the Pfizer's getting into the country. We've made new deals." Um, you know, <laughs> and the report is that Australia has clinched a game-changing deal to triple its access to Pfizer vaccines. Huh. Um, Except Pfizer says, no, that's not a thing. Who told you that? Uh, The total number of 40 million doses we were contracted to deliver to Australia over 2021 has not changed. Uh, We continue to work with the government to support their rollout program, but um, we haven't done any new deals. He's just lying. It's so crazy that the sort of the political situation that we find ourselves in is the one where Big Pharma is like the Uh. good guys. (laughs) (laughs) Thank God for Pfizer standing up to our (laughs) prime minister. What the fuck? Yeah, thank God for the guys that made sure the patents for vaccines against COVID couldn't get out to developing nations so they could just make them themselves. Thank (laughs) God for them. Bastions of truth and honesty and integrity. I guess the one thing Australia can feel thankful for is we're not like hoarding all the vaccines so developed countries can't get them. (laughs) The developing countries are beating us in the vaccine rollout. That's the amazing part. Yeah. As far as I'm aware, there was no actual response to Pfizer saying, actually, no, that's not true. That's it. It just ended there. They were like, oh, okay, I guess he lied. 
I can't be too sure because I refuse to spend that much time looking at Greg Hunt's face, but I think he's come out and said, um, okay, yeah, no, sure. 40 million doses hasn't changed, but we're ramping up how much we're getting per week or month or something. So they're just sort of ramping it up to give us our 40 million earlier than that, which Scott Morrison is still lying about it. And that to me very much sounds like a post hoc double down of just like, we got more vaccines and the vaccine place goes, no, you don't. They go, we've got, what I meant by more was access. I I reckon it's sort of the other way around where they did arrange to get them delivered the same amount of vaccines that they'd already agreed to delivered sooner. And they were like, oh, do you know how we could spin this? We could say we're getting more vaccines. Yeah. And then they were like, yeah, we're getting more vaccines. They're like, you're not, it's just, it's just an updated delivery time. And also, do we even have the infrastructure to deliver it? That like it, it, oh. <laughs> We're wasting three times as many Pfizer vaccines yeah. from, July, <laughs> from July 19. Once again, I just have to remind everyone that not only is the AstraZeneca vaccine very safe, recommended mm. not necessarily for like certain age groups, but still safe for all age groups. Um, that according to um, you know medical authority websites, however, um, that's being it, that is the vaccine that is being produced in Australia in Aust- by Australian manufacturing. Mm-hmm. We are never going to run out of AstraZeneca. Are you mm-hmm. making a like like by and Australian play? Like look for the little like literally dog kangaroo on a green background how, on your how, vaccine needle. How funny would it be if Labor decided let's do a nationalist angle oh by saying God. by Australia? <laughs> oh, they could. Yeah, that's they my thing. Is that- they missed ah. the one shot they could take. The important, the important <laughs> thing is that we have piles of AstraZeneca and it's not getting out there effectively. It's not even getting <sighs> to the people they said it would get to. They're fucking up every level. The problem is not oh. no supply. The problem is not wrong vaccine. The problem is they're fucking up every level of the rollout. We're fucking up the rollout and the government's also like, oh, I know how we're going to fix the rollout. We'll get the masters of logistics in, the oh. army. Because <laughs> they're the ones who know what to do. We, we've seen firsthand mm. how many civilian bodies they can hide mm. and the rate at which they can cover up those war crimes is astonishing. Mm-hmm. Surely they can roll out a vaccine campaign. Well, God... Fuck you- me, that's grim. That is <laughs> grim. And it's the same fucking thing as the cops. Like at the point where you're where you're contracting the people who you have paid and trained and equipped to be able to do like militarized murders, um, you're wasting a pile of money. Get a doctor who you didn't even have to give explosives training to. <laughs> that's cheaper now because they just did the medical stuff. A doctor can't pose in a photo pretending he's shooting a gun, though, can he? <laughs> I reckon he could. I reckon he could. No, it wouldn't be as strong. There's a portrait <sighs> of a big, muscly doctor pretending to hold up a stethoscope. <laughs> <laughs> just give me a stolen prosthetic leg to drink a vaccine out of. I'm good. <laughs> oh, my God. In the two years since the start of the pandemic, we have accomplished something. We finally got an ad campaign from the government about vaccines. Um, basically, it goes like this. Um, get vaccines. They're good. <laughs> <laughs> the end. After skewering them over their lack of ads, um, they've come up with one that has a delightful little pun in it. It's arm yourself mm. vaccination campaign. Arm your family against COVID-19. Arm your community against COVID-19. And the people in the ads have their sleeves up showing a little, a little. Band-Aid on their arm because you get you get the, the, the vaccination in your arm 
But mm. arming yourself is a way to f- like punch, like fight COVID with guns and cool stuff. Yeah. So, so it's kind of like you're a frontline trooper, like Starship <laughs> Troopers. Like I'm doing my part too. It's really cool. Here's the thing. Yeah. I don't even think it's, it's not a bad campaign. I don't think nah. it's problematic in it's any fun. way. I just think it's, it's, it's just nothing. It's, it's a, boring. it's just a little puff of air. So I want to correct something I said last week, which is that I thought, because I had seen some ads that was like basically COVID vaccinations now available. It, the, the biggest problem with that, it was that it was very wordy and it said, check your eligibility. And the truth of the matter is up until this point, very few people were officially eligible. Like up until they released the AstraZeneca for under 40 year olds, um, a couple of weeks ago, there were all sorts of back alleyway sort of methods we were trying to get <laughs> vaccines, um, just you know, out of desperation to try and be vaccinated as soon as possible. And so now they do have like you know, open access campaign: go and get vaccinated, arm yourself. I think it's really important to emphasize a community aspect to that, which is to say, when you get vaccinated, you are helping your fellow person. Once yes. we yes. all get vaccinated, we're all in this together. This is actually a point where you could actually use the phrase we're all in this together effectively because it actually means something as opposed to mm. you got this. Like, you know. It's like it tries to say as little as possible. Yeah. It really does. But th- yeah, that that sort of individualist thing, like that angle, because the, the defence that the vaccine provides is at a society scale. It doesn't make you immune to the virus. It does sort of reduce your chances of being hospitalized by the virus but the 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 benefit of the vaccination kicks in at the society level not the individual level there's already a lot of misunderstanding about that yeah. and so the fact that it's like arm yourself it, it, i think is really actively wrong it, i i i do have beef it with it does that. make you pretty immune to the virus <laughs> at an individual level let's yeah. be clear it, it does provide a lot of individual immunity to the virus it That's doesn't not- provide immunity to the virus. It provides protection from the symptoms of the virus. You can still catch it and you can still transmit sure. it. Sure, but it provides you personally with a lot of protection from the virus. Yeah, but like the the point of like I've said about when I've talked about vaccines in the past and how Australia has like this environment of cultivating a low level of anti-vaxxer sentiment through fear mm. and through individualization um, and making it all about how you are going to be specifically affected in small ways as opposed to the benefit of you getting vaccinated for the rest of society. Like I've said before in like previous uh, vaccination campaigns for um, girls getting Gardasil, like the the emphasis of that campaign was you could take a part in eradicating cervical cancer. Mm. Like isn't that something – and the human papillomavirus, like isn't that something really proud to be of? Yeah, it was I did my bit or something. What was the – I can't remember the the exact phrasing, but it was something like that. Like you you are – you are identified as an individual as part of a collective experience. Mm. Gee, what does that sound like? So these, these <laughs> ones do say arm your family, arm your community. So it is a bit of that, but yeah. it's, it's... Those ones are okay, but the arm yourself, I sure. I don't think that's right. Yeah. Um, but I think that they're kind of going together. But the, the thing is that, I mean, this is in context of an environment where Australia has a lot of anti-vax sentiment, where the vaccine rollout's been very bad, where people are very unsure about even what the go is. And all this ad basically says is a vaccine exists, it stops COVID, uh, it goes in your arm. Um, mm, and so. it's like, if you can imagine any other ad campaign, like for fucking Coke or whatever, <laughs> it's not just someone drinking Coke who are like, Coke is tasty. Um, it's it's like them on the beach or stuff. It's, it's showing how this friggin' Coke 
makes your life better. The French vaccine ad has people making out in a sexy fashion because <laughs> the vaccine makes you desirable and healthy. Oh, um, so funny. And allows I love you to that. make out with people. <laughs> the Australian one could be people at a fucking barbecue being like, oh, we've, we're all hanging out together now because we all got the vaccine. Yay. Well, Victoria yeah. had this ad campaign. They like when they were just trying to talk about the benefits of their own types of lockdowns and wearing a mask and stuff. Their whole thing was like, you know, we're all in this together, and when mm. you do your part, we can all get back to it. Like even they tried to do something that was a bit more community oriented. It's like something a year nine class could put together in a day. <laughs> this fact, this campaign. It's I bet it cost. A billion dollars. Yeah. And I reckon the government's just sitting down being like, we can't put any sort of community cohesion message into this because if people start talking to each other, they might start talking to each other about how we're a bunch of shit, how (laughs) we have to go. They'll start comparing wages. So I've got something I want to float by you guys. This was an Mm -hmm. idea that a really good friend of mine, James McInnes, he's the bass player in my band, Eye of the Enemy. Go check us out on Spotify and YouTube every week. (laughs) But he's one of my oldest friends. Love him to death. And he had this idea that I think is, well, what do you guys reckon? We clearly have a need to get as many people vaccinated as possible. Mm -hmm. We also have a need to provide stimulus to especially places like New South Wales, people in Victoria, whatever. So Mm -hmm. here's the idea. When you get your first shot of the vaccine, $250. When you Mm -hmm. get your second shot of the vaccine, $150. But you only get that paid out when 85% of the population is vaccinated. Mm. So it just makes everybody who's like... Yeah. Got it. Really want other people to get yeah. it. Yeah, oh, it works like Bitcoin. Yeah, <laughs> and then and also once you've got eighty five percent vaccination, that's when everything's opening up. You want stimulus payment to go back into the community. You want people to be buying stuff just frivolously once everything opens up and we can all tongue kiss each other and handrails and shit. I fucking mm. love that idea. So the labor hacks that listen to the podcast, please feel free to just steal <laughs> that and propose it. We know you're not going to actually do it. We know you're going to piss your pants about not winning, but just try. I reckon that'd be a fun thing to just. Try and wedge the Morrison government on. Do You've it. already, and they've the the fun part about that is that they've already had a go at giving people money for nothing before. Thanks, Kevin Rudd. That was like great. Like that yep. that actually yeah. increased goodwill. Turns out when you give people money for no reason, they really love it. Sports and roars and carport roars. Yes, it's a whole thing. Pork <laughs> barrel me individually. Yes. I love that the most impactful thing Kevin Rudd ever did was just give a bunch of people just like a moderate amount of money. There's two things that he had an impact on me. First of all, giving me free money. And secondly, mm. making Alco Pops really expensive, to which I say, fuck you, Kevin Rudd. I will never forget. I will never forget. <laughs> You've got your seltzers now, though. So. They're expensive because of the Alco Pops tax. Oh, no. <laughs> Thank you, Kevin Wright. (laughs) Anyway, one more thing I wanted to say about changing vaccine messaging is also he's escaped a lot of um, coverage on this podcast because, frankly, I don't want to talk about this loser any more than this. Fire Norman Swan from the ABC. He spent months, he spent Mm. months, like, stoking controversy over Australia's vaccine rollout. He was an early critic over, like, the, uh, the efficiency of the AstraZeneca vaccine and, like, you know, the the rarity of that clotting disorder. He's the one who made a big fucking deal about it. And he even admits this week, he's like, fair cop, I w- probably mm. did cause some vaccine hesitancy. Great. You're bad mm. at your job. Fire him. Yeah, go away then. <laughs> That's some real 
I, I, obviously, I think you should leave came out very recently. Oh, it's season so two, good. and it's. But oh. that's some real. I think you should leave energy. Like fair cop. I did create a bunch of anti-vax sentiment in Australia. <laughs> Fuck Norman. But that doesn't mean I should go. Like, we all make Norman, mistakes. Norman Swan at a press conference getting just aggressively louder and wetter. Yeah. No, I did. There's vaccine hesitancy because of me. I tried. But people can get vaccines if they want. I know I was the chief health officer, and I said don't get the vaccine. <laughs> Vaccine rollouts are complicated, McLean! The CoronaCast podcast that he is now done for the last year is like consistently one of the highest ranking podcasts in Australia. He is responsible for this misinformation. <laughs> that's why we hate him. Yeah, that's why that's why Evie hates him. <laughs> I hate him because he's stealing my stats. Get out of the way. <laughs> Finally away from coronavirus no more talk of coronavirus i want to talk about climate change yes you've entered the zone so questacon recently and uh, thanks to friend of the pod lee constable for drawing attention to this you probably know questacon it's the science museum in canberra um they put out a series of videos about energy uh, it, kind of broadly, they're, they're sort of introductory, like, oh, what's energy? Uh, what are some ways to make electricity? What are some b- bad things about energy? Uh, blah, 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 blah. And they did a shit job. <laughs> Not just because the videos are boring. And <laughs> I mean, that's opinion. And I'm, and I'm picky. I've seen better videos. I think they could have tried harder. You know, Bill Nye does fun energy videos. These were... Oh, fine. Black background, some demonstrations, someone talking directly to camera in a relatively scripted way. But the stuff they're talking about is that kind of of middle-of-the-road energy stuff that I hate, which is, oh, we can make energy with solar panels. We can make energy with gas. Both have pros and cons. (laughs) Uh, Maybe in the future... We can we can move slightly further away from solar panels and slightly, I mean, away from fossil fuels and and more towards renewables. That would be nice. Mm. Um, oh, the greenhouse effect is is it's kind of like a greenhouse keeps things warm, and that has a warming effect caused by carbon dioxide. Oh. Long story short. The whole thing is sponsored by Inpex, which is a Japanese oil company oh, responsible cool. for the $34 billion ichthys gas field in WA. Now, I'm not saying... Nothing is good and everything sucks. I'm not saying the two things are related. <laughs> we don't know whether ichthys told Questacon to do a shitty middle-of-the-road pro-gas video series, or if Questacon independently decided that was the best way to talk about energy. Both are really, really bad. Um, I'm not saying that Questacon has been bought and paid for by the gas industry. I'm just saying that the gas industry hired Questacon mm. and paid for that. Yeah, I was going to say, is it possible that, like, Inpex also did this sort of subject matter expert material themselves and gave it to Questacon and were like, here, here's some stuff about how gas is great. Solar, okay too, but they have their pros and cons. They may well have. Here's the thing. None of this material required Inpex to provide it to them. This is the same thing that you could find in every textbook from the 80s. Like, that's what pisses me off, is we are living in a a time of absolute climate catastrophe. A town in Canada burned to the ground last week. They are breaking all of the records in in North American summer right now. 
in Melbourne winter, we've had like hardly any rain. It has been a very mild winter and I'm really worried about summer. We are living in a time where every child that goes to Questacon will grow up in a world ravaged by climate shit. Um, I saw a good tweet the other day that said, you literally can't talk about the reality of climate change without sounding hyperbolic. You can't cite a paper without even the most well-meaning liberals assuming you're overreacting. The consensus of the UN's top scientists reads like a crazed man with a sign around his neck. And if you're not teaching climate slash energy stuff with the heavy, heavy theme of this is vital that we get off fossil fuels instantly because they are literally destroying the planet, you are letting down the people you're trying to teach. You know what it is, though? It's literally um, the constant burden of, but what if we scare children? It's about any sort of change, like, you know, in society in itself. Like, you know, you think about every sort of social change that happens, that has happened over the last 50 years, Hmm. every sort of opposition to teaching children about those social changes is but what if it scares them what if it upsets them well i don't like i i don't think it's a doomer thing to say you need like it's okay to tell children about things that are happening in their world yeah and to let them grow and understand the situation that we're in like it's not necessarily something that would scare here's them. the thing that's a lie really that's a lie and an excuse that is only used in certain situations. Because if you actually, like, if, if you think about when we teach children about stranger danger or traffic safety, or when we talk about COVID or, or you know, bushfires or standing under a tree in a lightning storm, we quite happily tell kids, don't eat batteries, you'll fucking die. <laughs> don't, don't stay up late, your hair will fall out and a boogeyman will steal you away. I, I don't think it's necessary. I think they, they tell people about physical danger, but like, mm-hmm. you know, concepts. Existential danger. Yeah, existential no. d- danger is I, harder. But like, no. the pro- we the do that is- as well. We say, don't eat sugar, all your teeth will fall out and you'll get ugly. Is that existential though? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a bit existential. I reckon that the hesitance to talk about it is not about not scaring children. No. It's about not scaring adults. Yes. There's yes. just so many adults who are just like, oh, I mean, obviously climate change is going to be terrible when it hits. And it's like, no, it's here. It's mm. now. It <laughs> has hit. Everything that we're dealing with now yeah. is only going to get worse in our lifetimes, even if we act. We just need to act immediately. And and people can't. That, that's so. That's too dramatic to talk about like that. So we're gonna say, oh, we're all very concerned about it, rather than like, fuck, fuck. I remember yeah. having this conversation in like the very first episode that we were talking about the bushfires. Yeah. Just like you know, it, it is a lot about how adults are scared as opposed mm-hmm. to children. I remember during the bushfires as well, like trying to talk to my workmates about how this mm. watching a city choked on the ashes of koala noses is not fucking normal this is terrifying why aren't we scared they're just like hey it is weird and then like mm. going home in a fucking n95 rebreather because melbourne was choked on smoke and seeing people on those uh yarra river boat bars just mm. out in the smoke having a couple drinks like mm. There was a really hot day. Like, I mean, that summer was hell, but there was like one really specifically hot day where all the trains to my house, like to to going back home, were all broken that day. The trams shut down as well. And I was just stuck in the middle of work and home um, on the footpath, blaring heat at like five o'clock in the evening, but it just was unrelenting. And that was the moment when I realized, oh, wow, we're not ready 
nothing is ready. We live in a society which is actively working to convince people everything is okay. And we saw this in coronavirus. For the longest time at the start, all of the messaging was, it's fine. We'll go back to normal. It'll be fine. We'll do a few little things. We'll go back to normal. We don't need to lock down. It's going to be okay. And eventually, obviously, they couldn't do that forever because fucking everyone started dying. In a lot of countries, they put it off so long and people started dying. In Australia, we were a bit lucky. We had a bit more lead time. Um, but you still watch ads and TV shows and things that are made today and they're set in a fantasy world where COVID doesn't exist. Where climate change yep. isn't real and where everything is fine and will always be fine. It's why everyone in a TV show has a job in a house. Like The Simpsons. <laughs> They're meant to be a middle-income family. I know it's an old show, but it's still being made. They're a middle, in- lower middle-income, apparently, undereducated, single-income family with a big house they own and multiple cars. It's, it's a fantasy designed to make you not worried. And to make it so that anyone who is saying, hey, everyone, this system is bad, this is broken, you'd be like, oh, that guy's crazy. Just every show that's being made at the moment is a period piece, effectively, Mm. that is just taking place in sort of when we weren't worried about it. Sort of period. <laughs> that um, th- that was me watching Farmer Wants a Wife the other day, which was filmed like <laughs> earlier this year. And I was like, what a peaceful life. Like this is a reality TV show and no one's ever like acknowledging or uh, like mentioning the fact that coronavirus has been through Australia in the last year. Just vibing on a farm without thinking about an international pandemic. I want that for me. It's escapism. So on Lang's point, one thing I'm noticing that is actually really – causing me a little bit of anxiety and I really Mm. don't like it when I see it is I've already started to notice entertainment shift from things are okay into climate Mm. change is normal. Um, Mm -hmm. There's trailers for like the new Battlefield game coming out. Massively multiplayer, 820 players on the one map at a time, destructible environments and huge tornadoes come through the map and can fuck up your tanks and stuff and tidal waves. Cities covered in sand up to like the seventh story because the cities have been abandoned because of climate change. There's plenty of mass media at the moment trying to normalize climate change and the effects of it at a personal level. And every time I see it, I have this weird, horrible anxiety where it's it, that's not going to work for me. It might work for younger people, but it just seems really barefaced and I fucking hate it. It just because it just reminds me of it. It doesn't make me feel normal about it but i think we're going to see more of it i pay attention to this too and you you'll see it a lot um because there's a lot of stories set you know depending on how far in the future they are they're either set very far in the future where we magically fixed climate change using magic uh usually um or magic technology or we didn't and everything's horrible um or it's set kind of during climate change and Everything's horrible and the world has gone to pieces. But there's very few set where we're actually doing something about climate change or yeah. doing something about climate change in a realistic way where we said, oh, yeah, we locked up all the oil executives. Oh, yeah, we shifted <laughs> over to renewables and it was pretty hard and we lost a lot. And that, that actually take that, like, realistic approach and aren't set 200 years in the future where everything's extremely fucked and we didn't fix it. Um, and, and it's, it creates this, this total defeatism, um, where we've gone from, oh, hope we can fix this with the help of the oil companies to guess we didn't. 
And you're already <laughs> seeing this. We're seeing these fires and, and, and people are out there being like, oh, well, guess everyone's fucked, eh? And the oil company's like, yeah, guess everything's fucked. Oh, well. <laughs> because they're still selling yeah. the oil and things don't need to be fucked. We can choose how fucked things are. Um, so coming back to the Questacon thing, <laughs> and and maybe we've 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 gone a little further. Come um, back to the Questacon thing. Let's go. But coming back to the Questacon thing, there's there's several videos. The one that I want to talk about, uh, which is the one about renewables. You know, he talks about the different kinds of renewables and the fossil fuels and stuff. And he gets to the end of the video, and he asks himself the question that I have been asked before, um, which is I think the most important question when you're talking about energy stuff, which is so. That's all pretty cool. Why aren't we using more renewables and batteries? And I'm like, yes, <laughs> yes. Why aren't we? It's Funny entirely politics. <laughs> yeah. Um, because often you, you have these things where you're like, renewables are great. We need to use them. He says, why aren't we using them? And then moves on to say, basically, we don't have enough yet. We'll be using more renewables in the future, but it takes time to change from fossil fuels. It won't happen overnight. In the meantime, Australia will need to use transitional sources of electricity. And this is where gas comes in. And I screamed and threw my computer through the wall. (laughs) Fuck off. Because... Just genuinely sick. Yeah. Because the whole thing was like, we need to move away from fossil fuels. How do we do that? We're going to need transition source of energy, like fossil fuels. (laughs) Because that's what gas is. It's a fossil fuel. It's just as bad as coal. But they, and then they roll out the lights. It's half the emissions of coal. Oh, it's a useless complement to renewables. But all the gas, we're setting up new gas. It's not that we don't have time to build renewables. It'll take time. We're fucking building the gas. Just don't build the gas. Build the renewables. This video is basically spreading that policy myth-making to children now. Yeah. It's just climate denialist propaganda. Yeah. And the problem is, this is, this is all there is. I honestly, if you can find educational materials that says fossil fuels are bad, no way, we've got to turn them off instantly. Bloody climate change is being caused by the delaying tactic of fossil fuel company. Please send it to me because I don't think it exists. It's all this. Oh, renewables are good, but they're not reliable. Oh, fossil fuels are useful. Hopefully we get away from them soon. The one silver lining to me here is that the videos are quite boring and they're not particularly good and they don't do anything very new and probably no one will watch them. I'm sorry, Questacon. I'm sorry. Hire me. I'll do a better job. When it comes to educational materials, so just Mm. uh, as a disclosure, I've worked for a company that used to um, do government contracts and that sort of thing for educational material. Um, And one of the things that one of the subject matter experts told me was that Teachers are often so just desperate mm-hmm. for any sort of curriculum align material, they will take anything on offer. If this video is up on Questacon's website with curriculum alignment, sure. they'll take it. And it just yeah. speaks to like, you know, the complete absence of really good, informative, entertaining climate material that is syllabus mm. aligned, or even if there is anything in the syllabus that like that would be able to teach children in this way. But I can definitely see I mean, like some teacher putting up this video and being like, okay, well, talk amongst yourselves and watch this video. For sure. Look, the thing is, this video isn't worse than anything else. It's just at the same level. But the fact that they went out of their way with bloody sponsorship money to make a video that is at best something you could find in the 90s, 
um, really shows how dire the situation is. And and I, I've had a look. There's all of the climate education material out there is this is how the scientific process of climate change works. This is how renewables work. Gosh, it would be good if we could get away from fossil fuels and maybe you can, you know, change your personal behaviours or whatever. There's not a bit in there about which specific fossil fuel executives have personally campaigned against things and how they should probably go to jail. Um, (laughs) And in fact, while we're on that, Inpex, who sponsored this, um, I said they run the Ichthys gas field. In 2020, that gas field emitted... 7.6 7.6 million tons of carbon dioxide equivalent, which is a meaningless number, but is 10% higher than the amount they were allowed to emit. So they blew past their threshold by an amount so large that it basically cancelled out the effect of 1.7 million rooftop solar panels. Fuck me. Mm. They have the fucking gall to sponsor an education video that in several parts is like, Oh, well, we can save power by turning off lights, by having more efficient houses, by switching to uh. renewables. By the company that, with one gas field, with the, with the excess emissions from one gas field, cancelled out 1.7 million rooftop solar panels. Australia only has about 2 million rooftop <laughs> solar panels. There we go. Yeah. And that's the excess amount of emissions. The other 90% we're saying are fine. That company has a CEO. A company has a CEO. This is a and Japanese oil company that is saying. the most intensive gas field in Australia. I was just thinking then as well, like one of the most annoying things about like the idea that um, there's, you know, that it takes time to introduce renewable energy. Mm. There is consumer accessible solar power energy that we could have on all properties. The problem is, is that a lot of Australians are renters and can't just ask their landlord to do it. It takes (laughs) an enormous amount of like financial outlay to even make your house solar powered or like, you know, any sort of like attached property as well. Uh, So like these things, they could be made accessible. The only reason why it takes time is because it's financially unavailable to most people. Look, there are so many issues here. All of the solutions are systemic, but the real thing that I want to that I want to focus on here is the fact that if you're talking about climate or energy, you can't be afraid to rock the boat a little bit. Because if you're saying anything approaching the truth, it's going to feel like you're rocking the boat. Mm-hmm. And as someone who's taught about this, when I started, I was like, oh. Oh, if I say it's a bit political or if I get into the systemic things, that might feel like people might be like, oh, you can't talk about that. Nobody cared. Everybody wanted to talk about that. Every single teacher I've talked to was like, thank you for talking about that. We all want to talk about it, but everyone is afraid to. And absolutely an organization like Questacon, which is government funded, which is industry sponsored, which is a towering bureaucracy, is going to say, oh, we can't mention, you know bushfires because the government doesn't like we can't mention the reef because the they susan lee reckons it's fine you know so stick your neck out if you work at (laughs) questacon if you teach in any capacity if you're anywhere approaching anything to do with the public fucking use the word climate change 10 times a day as practice please (laughs) 
Yeah, and not just climate change, but like finger pointed climate change, because you yeah. can talk. It's very easy to talk about climate change in a way that sort of sweeps everything out of the rug. It's just you, you have to be prepared to sound, I guess, a yeah. bit like a lunatic, because, like you were saying, you can't talk about the effects of climate change without mm. sounding like a, a, a raving person on the street with the, the the end is near sign around your neck, yeah. and you can't talk about the causes without talking about Takayuki Ueda, the CEO of Impex Corporation, <laughs> and how he's personally responsible for a lot of it. So some. <laughs> Fun phrases you could practice in are uh, 400 Canadian heat deaths, um, the collapse of modern agriculture, um, all of our children dying in a climate war. Try those. What a good riff to end on. Jesus <laughs> Christ. this week. Go back and listen to Ep 74, Care of Duty, Modern Lawfare. Why? Because we talk about an amazing court case where the court found that Environment Minister Susan Lee has a duty of care to children. You should listen to that this week because she's appealing the decision. She yep. wants to argue in court that she doesn't have a duty of care to children. So go back and listen to that episode. Yeah, she, yeah. she doesn't think she should think about the future. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not an MP for the future. I'm an MP for the present. <laughs> And the present that I'm wrapping up for everyone is death. The environment's just the thing on top of the coal. <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> Shout out this week as well to Flood, who are one of our podcast buddies. We love them a lot. We often recommend them on the show and we're recommending them again because they had an interview with Cam Coventry, who recently released a paper about Bob Hawke being a CIA informant. Um, and that sounds <laughs> Australia's foremost Bob Hawke's a spook expert <laughs> <laughs> It's as, exactly as great as it sounds uh, Really recommend you give it a listen Thanks again for listening to another episode of Not Good Enough You can get in touch with us on all the socials at notgoodpod or email us at protonmail dot <laughs> Stacked it at the end No clean landings Why did we We keep fucking up the email Like Why Why oh, does we... nobody ever fucking email Why do we even do that As a call for action Hey Instead of emailing us Leave us a positive iTunes review That's something that actually Actually yeah tangible. How come we've never We please? never call that out But that's actually you. Leave us a review Recommend us to people Download all of the last Like the previous episodes And then just delete them straight away <laughs> Do your bit not Good Enough was recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respect to their elders and sovereignty was never ceded.